Hello, it's Natalia Lloyd and welcome to my podcast, Beehive Household. As part of my interior design business, my first chat with my clients is a deep dive into their lifestyle and daily routines to be able to understand how they use their homes. And this is where the idea for this podcast came from. So subscribe and listen to find out about the daily routines of my extraordinary guests, their mindset, their choice of interiors, but most importantly, how their life at home sustains their success and much, much more. For this episode, I had the great pleasure of meeting Alia Rafiq Fateh, who is currently Managing Director of the luxurious interior design company Famid Kalik, whose projects include the super yacht owned by Roman Abramovich in their portfolio. Alia's career journey started at PwC as a graduate trainee accountant, but her heart was not set on accounting and she landed her dream job at Condé Nast International as Assistant Business Manager. With her outstanding business skills and fluent knowledge of Russian, Alia was seconded to Russia as editorial business director with the task of launching of Russian Vogue. Being from Russia myself, I'm fascinated to dive into those memories of Alia's life in Moscow. Following that, Alia's returned to Tatla in the UK as managing editor in 2001. She left Tatla nine years later in 2010 to become managing director of the fashion label Tatanaka before moving to Amanda Wakely in 2014 also as a managing director. Amongst many achievements Alias was runner-up in the Asian Women of Achievement Awards and was appointed to the English Cricket Board as head of the Women's Cricket Committee. And I am so delighted to be talking to Alia today to see how she juggles it all, what winner mindset she strives for and what routines help her cope with challenges that she has come up against. So we are recording this interview in your gorgeous home in Weybridge. Oh, thank, thank you <laughs> so much for welcoming me here. And um, what is this home? So we, we briefly spoke about, about it with you yeah. off the record, but what is this home for you? and? Um, how long you've lived here for? It will be three years next or this month on the 26th of April, which is my birthday. And I kind of always think of my birthday date now as being my rebirth day because I moved here on my birthday. And even my solicitor at the time, she was like, do you really want to move on your birthday? And I said, you know what, we've been trying to make this exchange and complete, you know, all of those things that you do when you're moving house, which are so stressful. And I said, nothing bad has ever happened on my birthday. So and let's do gift. it. It's, it's a, a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. And um, I moved here after separating from my husband with my daughters. And these, my daughters really chose this house because I had seen it on in pictures. It was out of my budget at the time. And um, they kept, they would keep looking at it as well. And I would look at it. And finally, I just went, shall we just go and look at it just to make sure, because it might be horrible and we may, you know, we may have a completely wasting, wasting different, yes, and we're obsessing about- Manifestation energy. Yes, manifestation yes. energy. Yeah. We had this vision board that we'd put pictures up on all of us together, yeah. cutting pictures out yeah. of magazines and stuff. And um, because it was, like I said to you at that time, 2017 to 2018, the house market was just not moving at all. Um, and I had to sell my old house, you know, um, because obviously, where my husband and I were splitting at the time. Mm -hmm. And so when we came and saw this place for the first time, I could tell that the girls kind of 
liked it, but I was trying to tell them like, don't look too, don't look too much that you like it because I might have to bang them down on the price or something. <laughs> you know, just act, tell, tell me things that are wrong and all the rest yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we saw it once together and re and it it literally it was empty apart from a few odd pieces of furniture because it was a rental and yet it was cold it was freezing cold because the heating had been off and you know but it it just made me feel like home when i walked in and i just walked into the hallway and i stood there it felt like the house was saying welcome Wow. And I felt that in the house that I had had before, mm-hmm. that when I walked in, I felt like I'm supposed to live here. Yeah. And so weirdly, then I didn't, I thought, well, you know, and the price was again, not right and sort of went back and forth. And then when it kind, when I finally went under offer uh, properly and everything, then I kind of did my maths and then I thought, let's see. Yeah. And I came back here with my parents and my father was walking around the house with me and my mother was asking questions here. And my father pulled me aside and in, in Urdu, you know, said to me, I think you need to buy this house. <laughs> so it was like everybody liked the house and everybody loved it. Yeah. And when my sister-in-law saw it, she said, this is the house that I always, the kind of house I dreamt of you living in. Because I always thought you would live in London and and have that sort of London life. Yeah. So I think of it as my London townhouse in Weybridge. <laughs> well, Weybridge is quite vibey. It's not. It's a countryside. It's just that nice mix. Exactly. Of energy of a London energy, yet in the setting of the, you know, woods and the parks and the well, and the fresh this air. This is what's beautiful about it. And I grew yeah. up here, so yeah. literally down the road, literally about 300, 400 yards down the road, there's a turning into St. George's Hill and that's where I grew up. So wow. it's quite hilarious that, you know, my, even my school friends will say, so you ended up living literally down the road from where you grew up, which is bizarre. My girls have gone to the same schools as I went to. Oh, yeah, but I think it's working mother laziness. <laughs> Find an area that you know really well, put down roots yeah. and send your children to the same schools that you went to. This is the best. I think it's the best. It's lovely. I think when you, uh, particularly if you can put your children through the same experiences, I mean, the time has changed, the school may have changed, the teachers would have changed, but there's some bond with you, the that yes. unspoken bond, because they are in the same rooms as exactly. you were when you were a little girl and having your own career dreams or family dreams, you know, it's, yeah. it's beautiful. It's really nice. And and do you, do you always listen to your inner voice? Yes. Is this? Yeah, I think I have learned to that to not trust my intuition does not work out well for me in okay. the long run. Okay. And I think with your being connected to your inner voice is one of the most important things, that connection and listening to it. And what does your gut tell you? And it's very mm-hmm. funny because um, Amanda and even now for me, who I work with. They're very intuitive people. Amanda Wakeley. Amanda, and Amanda mm-hmm. would always say, when we'd have a meeting and we'd come out and she'd be like, and I would give that sort of corporate, she'd go, how do you think it was? And I'd give my sort of corporate brain, commercial brain yeah. response. And then she'd say, and what does your gut say? All right. I said, my gut says this, this, and this. And yeah. she would be like, it's exactly how I felt. And I think when you're very, 
the more you open yourself to be sensitive and to energy, the more the more the energy helps you make good decisions. Yeah, yeah. I think it is important. I think um, I think I actually am quite empathetic, so I do have to learn to protect that energy as well, That's because right. when you are empathetic, you must learn to let people's energy stay in themselves, not take it on yourself. I, I can very much relate to that. Yeah, yeah. It, because it, you're not not helping them if you take no. it on yourself, and you are like, I'm the victim. Yeah, no, yeah. you're not. Yeah. There's, there's a, it, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that it. it's something that um, I personally had to very much learn to understand that, yeah, th- there are ways of, that I needed to learn the techniques to protect my energy, just yes. like you're saying, and it's, it's very interesting. And um, you are a very proud Pakistani. Yes. And uh, you talk a lot about your deep connection to Pakistan and yeah. um, the tight family bonds that you have there. Um, but you are equally very British and very integrated here, and you've mm. you, you've grown up here. You you went to school here, and um, you in one of your interviews you mentioned that you feel like you were raised one foot here, one foot there. Yes. Um, what was your childhood like? Can you describe your family home and atmosphere back then? Um, we lived in a very. I was very blessed that we lived in one house. The first house we lived in that I remember. Um, was a very sort of big country house, which is not far from here, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in Walton-on-Thames on Seven Hills Road, and it was called Seven Hills House. Right. And it was one of those sort of big, rambling English homes. And I just remember as a child thinking that this was like living in a castle or something, that I was forever finding corners to go and find myself and get lost in and hide my toys in, etc. And it had beautiful big garden with a road. And my father was... He really put his heart and soul into developing the property and making it as beautiful as possible. He planted roses in the garden. And, you know, my parents really put a lot of love and attention into that house. But I think the house that is like, I would say the house that you dream of when you dream in your dreams, there's the one which is the one which is closest to you. And that was the house in Weybridge that we bought when I was maybe four. My sister was around three and my mother was pregnant with my youngest brother yeah and it was what i loved about it was it was it was a house that no one that i knew lived in everybody lived in very sort of sort of english looking houses and this was this very modern house with walls of glass and a wow. beautiful garden where the garden almost felt like it was inside the house and it was very modern modern you know had terrazzo marble floors with underfloor heating which people had never heard of you know in those this days is a, this yeah. is in the 70s this is 76 wow. um and sort of very 1970s you know white deep shag pile carpets that had to be raked which my sister and i then hated because yeah. we had to rake them um <laughs> but very modern beautiful um beams wooden beams and I think that's probably why if you say to me who are like your favorite architects, even though I love that sort of beautiful English country style, you know, Richard Neutra and, and uh, Frank Lloyd Wright. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Because I, I grew up in one of those homes that just yeah. integrated into the landscape and Snow Hill, which was the name of the house, sadly was torn down later and then but some other house was built on it. Was it? Yeah, which is sad, but I guess it's, 
you know, those type of very modern houses, mm. they're like Marmite. You either love them or you hate them. Yeah. And anyone who has built a house with a flat roof knows that they always leak and there's always issues and things. But yeah. I would say that it was a really beautiful home to grow up in. So I had a very lovely, happy childhood. And then, you know, like I said, my mother's mother was in Pakistan. Um, my father's sister um, was in Pakistan and her home is still there, mm -hmm. you know, even though she has sadly passed. Yeah. Um, and her, one of her children is living there and her husband still lives there. But I love these ideas of homes that are um, part of your family growing up. Oh, yeah. So when I took my children there, I would say, do you want to know where we used to hide our comics? Come, I'll show you. And lo and behold, I pulled out an Archie comic from goodness knows when. It really? It's is. still stuffed in the back, you know, from... Oh. And I love those type of stories because, you know, it's lovely to have places where you keep going back to. So, yes, I was very blessed in that way because... I grew up with that sort of lovely sunshine, endless sunshine of you know, Pakistani winters and yeah. very hot summers. Um, but also, I was born and brought up here. I have, my father's mother is English. Yeah. Um, so I really have a deep appreciation of how lovely and beautiful this country is and how lucky I am to live here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've never actually lived in Pakistan? Probably we did a four-month stint. Right. You know, and was there a try to move? Or? No, I think my brother got sick and we had to wait till he was well enough to come back. So right. we got to live there for four months and I loved it. How old were you then? I was about 11, 10, okay. 11, something like yeah. that. So it was just bliss. Yeah. You know, not having to go to school proper. Yeah. A number one, fabulous. And then just hanging out with your cousins and your cousins of cousins and, you know. The feel of big family. Big family. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, speaking of your family, so your uncle was a dancer, ballet yes. dancer, and he studied in the Soviet Union in yeah. Leningrad, which is, you know, for, for me as a Russian person, I was <laughs> born in Ukraine, so I'm Ukrainian and Russian, which for me is the same regardless of all the political agendas. Of course. Um, but he's uh, it, just finding out all these facts about you was absolutely, you know, it's like out of nowhere. But I had to like read it again. The, I mean, we must have been a very um, interesting family that we must, you know, in that way we are. Yeah. I mean, we are very big. We would joke about my father's one of seven and my mother is one of nine. And then she has... Like, this is no joke. No joke. Yeah, <laughs> you joke, but really, this is no joke. It's really no joke. And then my mother has, you know, ha half brothers and sisters as well um, in the mix as well. So we are a big family. But my uncle was... Um, they came, my father came to live here in England when he was 13. My grandmother came with his younger brothers. Mm -hmm. um, and my uncle, um, Chinko, he was the youngest. And he started to go to ballet classes in the UK. So this is how my, my father used to take him to his ballet classes after school. Oh, wow. And he learned ballet in, in this country and then you know, was got a scholarship to go and study at the Vaganova School. Yeah, that's and in danced, Leningrad, Yes, it? Leningrad, mm -hmm. and then danced with the Kirov and was in class with Mikhail Baryshnikov and friends with Rudolf Nureyev. And all these young Russians would come when they came on tour and they would hang, out, hang out at my, grandma, my grandparents' house. Oh, wow. 
So is that where the fascination with Russia started or it's not definitely. related? Is no, it? no, definitely it's yeah. because of him, because how, and he could, he didn't even just speak Russian. He spoke fluent French, Italian, German, Spanish, and he had danced with companies all over the world and very sadly passed away a couple of years ago and very sadly died of, you know, had dementia, which was, is a horrible, horrible disease. Mm. But weirdly, um, all his ballet friends would visit him and about things that if I would go and speak to him in Russian, he would understand. Understand. If you spoke to him in Urdu, sometimes he would understand oh, wow. and it would take him back. So I wonder if there's something, a link between the languages that you learn and speak and the times that you were speaking them that What's triggers in your brain or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was a beautiful dancer. Wow. And um, so you, a couple of years ago, you said that you did a ballet class once a week. Is that something you've persevered with? Yes, still. still. So we've been out, we've been out of dance classes because of lockdown. Yes. But before that, um, religiously, once a week, great teacher who I found in Weybridge. And, you know, it's very funny. Um, I'm 50 this year. So um, you don't really make new friends. You meet people through work. But because you're doing something that you love and all the people who are in this class also love doing mm -hmm. ballet and may, many of them used to do ballet when they were younger, they've rediscovered it, etc. Um, or this is something absolutely brand new that they've always wanted to do. And I've met these wonderful women through this class, all different ages, all different walks of life, backgrounds, etc. And we forged this incredible friendship through doing something that we all love. Yeah. And when I was in Moscow, when I was working there, I met this lovely French girl, Delphine. And the other day I was actually thinking about her. And she said, I go to a ballet class. And I'd done ballet, you know, quite religiously, um, yeah. you know, sort of 11, 12 through my teens. And I said, please, can I come? Please, will you take me? Oh, wow. And we learned Russian uh, ballet from a Russian dancer at Moscow State Ballet, ballet School. School. Yeah. yeah. And um, the most intense classes, two hours long. And I used to go once a week and then we ended up going twice a week and then three times a week. This is incredible. It's addictive. And, and you've obviously been to the Bolshoi. Many times. Many times. Yeah. Many times. That was one of the blessings, you know, about living in Russia um, was that I got to see, I actually made it a list. I'm going to see every opera that I've ever wanted to see. I'm yeah. going to see every ballet that I've ever wanted to see. And not necessarily at the uh, at the Bolshoi because yeah. of course, you know, you get scalped for the tickets, you know, they're at least minimum $100 or whatever. Yeah. And at the time, you know, I was like, why would I get it for the Kapieki, you know, if you go anywhere else. The Kapieki, yeah. And, um, <laughs> but I used to love Kremlin Palace. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. the stage is epically huge. Mm -hmm. And when you would see Swan Lake there, they would actually have to get in extra swans to fill the stage. Yeah. And it's just, it's just mega. So that was one of my favorite things to do. How interesting. I've actually never seen in the in the Kremlin Palace, I've never seen ballet opera. So usually you'd go there for like concerts. Exactly. And, but, but Romeo and Juliet, I saw there. Swan Lake multiple times because it's my favorite. Yeah. I saw Giselle there 
and also some uh, Eugenia uh, Evgenia Negin. Evgenia Negin was there as a ballet. I loved how one of the publications described your career as something you would dream up on your way to the school reunion. And this is just true, it's so <laughs> remarkable. And it just defines exactly that. And it almost word to word repeats what I said to Lisa after I've heard you on that sorority oh meeting. Goodness. Honestly, this I was like, she has a dream career. She was just like, yeah, no, yeah, she is amazing. But this, when I read that in one of the publications, I was like, <laughs> true, true. This is exactly how I wanted to word it. And it's, it, so you started your career at PwC. Yeah. And bef so that was before you got your dream job. Yeah. Can I call it a dream job? Yeah. yeah? At Condonast International, reporting directly to the chairman, yeah. Jonathan Newhouse, who you call your mentor as well. Yeah. And um, so changing from accountancy office to the fashion magazine office, did you have to rethink the whole wardrobe? Yeah, it's very interesting. So um, I had worked in a place which thought it was groundbreaking. PW, when I started, they told us very excitedly that we have finally got past, you know, the governing body of, of the company, um, that women will be allowed to wear trousers. I know you look look at your face now. I, it's sad that it's a podcast because everybody in Natalia literally <laughs> looks. She was always a video where Natalia looks like horrified. This is kind of if you really do take your mind back, this is nineteen ninety-four. And that was groundbreaking to be able to wear trousers to work. However, the trousers had to be made from the same fabric and the same colour as the jacket. So you couldn't wear a black jacket with red trousers or anything like that. No. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. So how was the And then transition? when I went to Conde Nast and mm -hmm. I only had suits, which were my only workwear. And so I would wear them and everyone around me was, looked deceptively casual. And when I call it deceptively casual, it's the sort of stealth wealth way of dressing, which mm -hmm. actually is very if I fast forward to Amanda Wakeley time, that is kind of the kind of dressing that we, that Amanda pioneered, if you like, mm -hmm. and that we built, you know, the business on. So if you saw someone wearing plain black trousers and a black polo neck, you were like, oh, I can wear that. I've got one. But your polo neck is like 100 years old because it's the stuff that you wear on the weekend, mm -hmm. you know, with a pair of black yeah. jeans. Yeah. And then you look closely and you realize that the cashmere is, you know, 12 ply thick, thick, luscious cashmere. And the jeans have been tailored to look immaculate and the, all the rest of it. The so key is in detail. Is yeah. the detail of it all. So I stuck to my suits really, because at least the kind of work that I was doing was actually pretty financy. I was working spreadsheets and, you know, consolidations and things like that. Yeah. But I watched and I listened and I learned. And then you start building your blocks up so that you can have a way of dressing which feels true to yourself as well. And I think that's where you learn, well, I learned a lot about personal style, that mm -hmm. you must dress in a way that feels good to you. And if you ape other people, you always look like a slightly second-rate copy. Yeah, 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 very good. So how long did it take you to get that transition? When did you start changing? I think I would say it was definitely sort of, it probably took a year or so. 
And then, yeah, and I felt more brave about my choices. Mm -hmm. I think because you're so, when you were trying to be corporate, you know, you were always about like the perfect suit, the perfect, you know, the skirt and the trouser and and that very corporate look, you know, Mm -hmm. big earrings and, you know, it was the 90s, I can't help it, you know. (laughs) But a way of of dressing that made you look older because Mm -hmm. you wanted to look more professional and more competent. Whereas had I worn more casual clothes at that age, I would have, people would have said, are you an intern or mm. are you here to like do the coffee or whatever? So mm. you wear that uniform because that's your armor. Yeah. As yeah. I find as you get older and you, I don't need to tell you about my experience. I already know it. Yeah. I don't need my experience to show on the outside mm. because I'm carrying it on the inside. I think I potentially dress, I wouldn't say younger, but more comfortably um, because I think I feel more comfortable in my own skin yeah. now. It's it's um, it's very interesting what you're talking about here. Is the uh, um, you know when at first you need to look like something else, like you were fake it till you, you make it. Fake it till you make it, and then once you made it, you actually don't have to. And it's um, it's it's very powerful. And do, do you think it's the way to do it, or does it matter? How you, is, is it fake it till you make it? Is it actually how you I go think, about it? I think it's less of a fake thing. I don't think it's, I don't think that anybody should put themselves under the pressure to uh, pretend to be something that they're not. I yeah. think that that's where people, the distinction has to come. I do feel though that when you want to learn about something, you have to put yourself in the mindset that you already are the person who knows this. So I am at the moment, I have moved from fashion into uh, a language of, of interiors, mm-hmm. which is a very different language from the language of fashion. Yes, there are similarities. And yes, from a commercial point of view, you're still selling product. So yeah. you have to sell as much product as you can. Um, and that's how you build your business. But it's a different language. There's different nuance. There's different things that you want to highlight about it but you're still selling a luxury brand so the language is similar but you're again listening and learning mm-hmm. and i'm in that you know the first 90 days 100 days you know i feel like joe biden my first 100 days yeah um where i am observing i'm observing i'm listening to when for me presents the, the product to a client what language he uses the stories that he tells learning and Collecting knowledge, for me, is the best armor that you can have. Because once you know something, then you can riff, then you can be, you know, you can bring the showmanship and the and the hustle mm, to it. Yeah. But you better know your stuff perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and do the work, do the homework, know your numbers backwards. Um, when you're in a role where you're talking about, if you're talking about commercials or if you're talking about, um, aesthetics, know your stuff. It mm. doesn't mean that you have to be um, uh, know everything about everything, but about the thing that you're talking about, you must do the work, learn the homework, learn it off by heart, if it means that you have to do that. Yeah, no, beautifully said. I, I completely agree. And it's, it, it's that period giving yourself the time to soak in the environment, to process things yeah. and, and, and then 
come out stronger, not to rush into you know, trying to come across confident or trying to come across, um, you know, trying to and again, take your space exactly too fast. Yeah, know that that space is yours. Yeah, yeah. Move into your space when you're ready. And don't make anybody push you into your space until you're ready to sit there. Very beautiful mindset statement, for sure. Thank you. Thank you. No, thank you. And how are you as a mum? So you, you've got your beautiful Dreadful. girls. <laughs> Dreadful, awful. Do you, They're uh, both going to appear in the hallway just now in, in their the pajamas, <laughs> going, what's for, I haven't had breakfast, no, nothing. Um, I am. not true. But what's the, like, do, do you ask all those questions? Do you challenge them on their, you know, self-respect, confidence? Because they are now teenagers. 13 and 16 and it's a very challenging time i'm dreading this time everyone i hear it's all right you can come back to me because i will hopefully have survived on tranquilizers and maybe industrial medication you never know but i tell you what i i don't know you would probably have to ask them i feel that like i said to you i feel that i've i will always feel that i never got enough time with them they will probably tell you too much, tell me, uh, too much, too much asking questions all the time about things. Um, so all I can say is I always will think that you only realize what kind of a mother you are or want to be once you've had your children thinking about, you know, what you then suddenly think about what kind of a mother you had mm. as well. So mm. and how... I think my mother was actually in some ways a much better mother than me because she was present and she was there and you know she would she was physically physically there to say you you have to learn tennis at school and I think she really felt these things because she was from she'd come from Pakistan to live here and she really wanted us to feel like we had every opportunity that every English child would have mm-hmm. so if in the school all these children were learning to play tennis, for example, in our school, and I say, oh, so-and-so's going to, learning to play tennis. My mother would be like, fine, let's go and get tennis rackets. And she would learn to play tennis with us, you know. Yes, and, and, you know, then she would find people that could give us lessons or whatever. And she was always trying, you know, when people, she was was the one that learned. She listened and learned from people around her being new in a new country, new in a very different type of society from the society that she was used to in Pakistan. And she wanted to learn. So she learned, you know, people and people took her under their wing Mm -hmm. in that way and Mm -hmm. told her, you know what, you have girls, they should go. These are the schools that you should try and get them into. Mm -hmm. If they're bright, they should go to this school. If you think they're really artistic, then to this school, because she didn't have that. In Pakistan, she would have known like this in two seconds. She knew everyone and everything. That wouldn't have been the issue. But when you're new, you need people that are going to mentor you and help you and support you. And my mum listened and learned. And so you need, your daughters should learn how to play a musical instrument. Are they learning? And I would be like, hell no. Okay, right. Let's get a piano. And she was that sort of thing of like, we'll do it now. Let's do it. Let's do it. You know, and I still see that in her. You know, she still has this thing of, Come on, let's. Why don't you do that? And when she has, she has a wonderful relationship with my daughters. And in some ways, I feel that 
they've been raised by their grandmother, so they're going to be fine. <laughs> it's not my influence in any way. Sometimes they will do things and I'll look at my mom and I'll be like, that's totally your gene. It's nothing to do with <laughs> me. <laughs> nothing to do with me. And this is where I think grandparents are so wonderful yeah. um, in that way. So, yeah, I think I am, I will never, that, yeah, I will always feel that I didn't do enough or I haven't been there enough and all the rest of it. Whereas I'm sure they just see me as being, this is the mother that they got, this model. Yeah, do you yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and other people might say, oh, you know, I got this model that, you know, is at home all the time and drives me crazy because she's always in my face and doing stuff. Yeah. So there's always one or the other. Well, you rightly said that you would only appreciate once you've got your own children. So I think whatever you do, whether you're going to be at home stay mom yeah. and full-time mom, or you're going to be a role model as in the woman who builds her career and, you know, builds her success and provides for that future, for the, the means for, for your children, there will always be... I think, I guess human beings are just... This is a nature. Yes. You never appreciate what you have. Yeah. You would always look at what is missing. And equally for you, you know, you, you obviously reflected those thoughts. Mm. And you shouldn't. And you really shouldn't. Because <laughs> it is, I mean, I can see from what you've you've said. I see your mum and you in that you are an easy starter. You take on different endeavors in your career uh, and uh, as, as well as everywhere else. Really easy. I mean, who would have thought... Um, you could go to a Russian monastery in Paris to for three weeks to just complete isolation to speak only pure Russian to Russian monks I who know. just sit there and smoke their black cigars. I mean, this is so bizarre. <laughs> and you obviously went to Moscow in 1998 yeah. with a big task in hand to launch Vogue Russia. Mm. And there's a, a quote in Little Women where Amy says to Laurie that foreign life polishes you in spite of yourself. And I think it's very true. I think it's just the ability to assimilate in a new country, whether in, you know, for some people, I mean, some of my colleagues were, had not, not learned any Russian. They barely knew, they learned their Cyrillic alphabet so they could at least understand where they were going and stuff. But they were far braver in some ways than me. You know, I mean, I spoke the language. I kind of knew roughly where I was mm -hmm. because I'd kind of done a three-month stint there before. But it's just the most, I loved it. I mean, the most magical time and one of the happiest times of my life. Really? Yeah. It touches my heart. It's really, I could yeah. listen to you forever talking <laughs> like this about Russia. Because, because I, I just I just took it as this big sort of crazy learning experience. So like I said, if I was going to, I'm going to do ballet classes and you do have to be very proactive about filling your day because you can feel lonely, obviously. Of mm. course, you're going to feel lonely and feel crazy and whatever. What did you fill it with? Um, ballet classes going to the opera and I was, I'm one of those people that would always buy an extra ticket. So then- Just in case. Well, someone. just always go to someone in the office or just yell in the middle, I've got an extra ticket for something at Kremlin Palace tonight, who wants to go? This is amazing. And Russians are spontaneous, isn't it? Yes. Like here, when I moved here, I it took me a while. I was like, why can't I go to a single concert? Everything is sold out. Because you How haven't come thought about going to a concert a year, a year before. Ago? 
this and this is not Russians, no. so not Russians. And and everyone is just like, let me check my diary. And now I am like this, like let me check my diary. And I figured out after a while, probably after a mm. year, it's like start planning. I, I, I better start planning because I, I'm not experiencing the you know London life to that fullest. Because I came here with with my spontaneous rationale, like right. So, what are we doing this weekend? Let's just see where we can go. Oh, there's no tickets left. Like, what's going on? And that's been weird in the last year because we can't plan anything. <laughs> so this is kind of everyone's become Russian. Russian, yeah. <laughs> everyone's become spontaneous. Like, <laughs> shall we do this? Hell yeah! Let's fill the car. With, I mean, this is I'm also sorry, like, not allowed. No, sorry, no. Can't go too far. Yeah, don't go too bonkers. Exactly. Out of the list of three things, what you can do, choose anything. Yeah. Choose anything, any color as long as it's black. You know, yeah. It's very heavy forward. That's, that's true, exactly. So, following your success in Russia, you became um, managing editor of Tatlin, mm-hmm. and this is when you met your ex-husband. Now, yes. in two thousand and one, and in two thousand and two, you got married. Yes, that was fast and furious. Oh well, I mean from. Someone from my background, you know, if you're not engaged in three months, you're not doing something right. It's not we worth were, it. Yeah. We were we were pretty good, you know. We waited a year. We really got to know each other. All of that stuff. <laughs> it really. So, he, was he from Pakistan as well? My ex-husband is um, Indian, but Indian Muslim. Okay. And has roots in Pakistan and in India. So yes. Right. Right. And. Um, and obviously, you had your daughters. Had my daughters, two thousand and four and two thousand and seven. Almost back to back, not as back to back, but you you had a you had a good um, good space out uh, between them, so that that's kind of good. So and it, so it always and we talked a little bit mm. off the record. So it it always feels like there's this balancing act between your career and yes. your personal life. And so, did you feel the pressure of this juggle act? Yes, I think you always do. It's like your it's like your deal with Satan. You know, you're, you're never hundred percent happy about the choices that you have to make, mm-hmm. but you have to make choices. Yeah. So you make them, and then you make the best of them. Um, I'm never a hundred percent comfortable with some of the things that you know I've had to say no to or whatever. But I guess I think this is also it. A lot of it is motivated because you're afraid. You're afraid that if you're not shown, you're not showing that you are present at work that people will think that you are taking advantage of the fact that you have children mm. to say that. And don't forget, mm. you work in a very female-oriented space where not everyone has children. Then you can't, you feel also that potentially are you, you're using your, you know, are you playing the child yeah. card? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and I, I remember thinking that, you know, I, could I go part-time, could I, and then I saw people who had gone part-time and it really, it, you're neither one thing nor the other and they really got penalized uh, massively yes. for doing so. So what I did do was with both of my girls, I took the full year off. And I was very lucky that that legislation came in just as I was having, or just as I got pregnant with my eldest. Um, I took the full year off with both of them and really enjoyed the time of being a mom. a mom and being able to to do that role. And I mean, just because I'm working doesn't mean that I stop being a mother. I think mm. this is the, the slight fallacy as well. You know, it's not something that I do. I am. I am a mother. Exactly. So 
you know, I happen to be working and doing other things, but I'm still a mother. And yeah. I think if you are open and honest with your employers about the fact that, you know, I remember when I went for my interview with Tata Naka, mm -hmm. and I said to the girls, you're not going to ask me about this because you'll feel you can't, but I'm going to tell you that I have two children and they are, you know, two, nearly three, and, and, and the other one is, you know, five years old and they're in school and this and that. And sometimes I will ask for time to go and do things with them, but I'm always really respectful of work that needs to be done. And I think what I've also learned, even in the last year, where I never worked at home, I'd never worked from home at all, um, that I can be very productive working at home and I can still go and pick up a child or drop them off or whatever. And I felt that what was wonderful about the pandemic was that you could be in a meeting and people would say, oh, can you do three o'clock? And I'd say, no, sorry, I'm on the school run. And, and it's I okay. And it was okay. And everyone went, no probs, you know, we'll do it when you come back or whatever. That was a massive freedom. I never felt before that I could ever have said that. That's true. That's a very interesting point. Exactly. And the, 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 um... and I think I was more productive in the last 12 months working from home than I've ever been. That's interesting. That's very interesting. And, and um, it, it's also quite powerful that that change, it just it took one year, drastic year, and obviously mm. a lot of people suffered. But the, there's also a lot of good things that came out, the, the change for the oh, better. Yeah. The, the something that was needed to be made just was changed quicker and faster. And um, and you've mentioned the uh, um, going through the breakup of your marriage. Mm. Um, so what did you learn about yourself going through divorce? Well, I think, I think you learn to keep moving all the time, just get through each day as you can, go to sleep, wake up the next day, get through it the next day, etc. And know in your heart that you are pushing towards a better situation for all of you. Because what I would say is that I'm very proud of the fact that my, my ex-husband and I are really good friends, that we co-parent our daughters openly and together. Um, and that I'm still very fond of him. I still think of him as my family. Just because mm. our relationship didn't work out doesn't mean that he isn't a part of my family. And we have birthdays, the children's birthdays together. We take him out on his birthday, you know. Um, mm. And I think that's really important to, to know that you are, again, just like anything, focus on your end goal. What is your end goal? That everybody emerges from this as together as possible. Um, that your children always will feel that they are loved and valued by both of you. But just that this relationship didn't work. Did you see it coming, the divorce? I think it's always, things like this are always a big, they build slowly. And then maybe there's something that happens in your mind where you say, no, I, I don't think this is working anymore. But we did, what I think is really interesting about how we both handled it, we did 
We did all of our groundwork and infrastructure behind closed doors. We didn't announce it. I mean, not that you announce these things in that way, but we didn't tell our, our wider families until everything was done and dusted. We had moved, we had separated, etc. Um, and um, one of my girlfriends who's in PR, um, she called me and I just sent, a, a, you know, one of those moving, we're moving cards. Mm-hmm. And um, she said, I think that because I put that, you know, it was myself and my daughter's names are on the move to a new home. And she said that she thought that was a very chic way of <laughs> announcing that. New chapter. New chapter. And I don't, I know, I because, because my ex-husband is a big part, still a big part of my children's life and my life. I kind of just see it as a different chapter of our relationship because I don't feel that our relationship is over okay. in that way. That's so very mature as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm glossing over all the other stuff because I always feel that um, these are things that one day my children will ask me about and when they're old enough and will want to know about these things that maybe I will tell them. But I find that for me, it was never about where I was at that time. It was always about this is what I need to do and then this step and then this step and then things, then we can start healing, if you like. Mm-hmm. Because you do, you have to forgive as well on both sides. Have you forgiven? Oh, yes. And I've asked have for... Have you been forgiven? For, I hope so. Yes, I think so, definitely. I think you have to because once you've forgiven each other, you've acknowledged that the past couldn't have been any different. Yeah. And that you're both then free and fresh to move on and put a different level of parameters and boundaries around your relationship but it's still the same relationship it's just moved into a different zone and um there were certainly people that knew that who was your support my parents your parents massively my parents my brother my sister my close friends who knew you know what, what i was going through um very much so but i also did keep a lot internalized is it something you feel like you may need to work through still or you've now moved I think, on? I mean, I think I've worked through a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that there are maybe things that happen that I go, am I feeling this because of something I've gone through? I think you we're always working through stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Because different things affect you at different times of your life. There might be a trigger from your past that come forward suddenly into the present. And weirdly, we were talking about this at work, we were talking about, because my um, my boss has never worked with an MD. He was, he, you know, was the MD, He's it's his business. Mm-hmm. And we've worked really closely with uh, an HR uh, consultant who's very much about how do you integrate your two ways of working together? Because it's kind of like, it is like reestablishing the boundaries of a relationship or a partnership. And so interesting, what I was really impressed with was the length and breadth that Fameed went to while hiring me. That Mm -hmm. I did a lot of sort of personality tests. He did the same test to see how we, our two personalities would work together, where there may be stress points, where we need to talk things out. Because what we were both nervous about was, 
our friendship is the most important thing. And I mean, yeah. there's a picture of him and me together up here. I mean, it's not just right. by chance. That's right. Because, you know, he he is one of the loveliest people in my life in that way. So right. we were so careful, you know, that we don't want our friendship to be ruined. But we've really done a lot of work on how how should we work together? Where What are going to be my responsibilities, whatever. I really do feel, though, if anyone is going to go into a marriage, that, that they should take this personality test because it's phenomenal, because it tells you really who the person is that you're marrying. Because there were things that came up in there that I was like, gosh, yes, I am like that. But I didn't think anyone knew or whatever. <laughs> So it was, I think, I even said, I said, God, this should be on a dating quiz or something because it's phenomenal. Because it was also to tell me how I how I can support him. Yeah. Because that's what you want to do, you know, when you are, you're the straight, we, we joke now that, you know, I'm the straight man to the creative. That's always mm-hmm. what I do. And yeah. I always say if there weren't these wildly creative people who, you know, don't like doing the commercial sides, I wouldn't have a job because... That's what it is. It's like taking your creative impulses and your ideas and giving them a commercial structure. Yeah, and channeling them into um, turnovers and revenues. Yeah, exactly. And um, so, and you, you're talking about this new position with um, Famid Kalik. Is that how you pronounce yeah. his name? Yeah, Kalik. And 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 that came after your. You've already made your huge footprint in the fashion industry. You've the. the Condonas fashion brand um, uh, company Tatanaka. Then yeah. you you worked as a designer, as as a um, MD at the designer label um, Amanda Wakely, and now you're stepping into a completely new zone: interior yeah. design. Um, and and we talked a little bit about it that the two industries are so intertwined, yeah. and that the inspirations for interior designers often come from fashion catwalks and and the, the textiles and the colors and the patterns yeah it's it, it, it's part of that creative world and um and that decision came about from your friendship yeah from a good friendship of how many years is it now we've uh, 96 so yeah 96 I'm over 20 years over 20 years uh, relationship yes yeah, at 25 isn't it mm. With um, with Fermid and um, ultimately, um, the test is just such a fundamental thing. I quite like how yeah um, you know rationally you ca- came to it. So it's it's that not to ruin the friendship, but yes. also to build something bigger and how you can complement each other. And it clearly worked. So this is the time for you to start that, and. Um, and having started this uh, this new position and for, for the interior design company, has that industry inspired you to make any changes to your home? Oh my goodness, yes. I'm constantly looking at things in the showroom now and thinking, <laughs> how would that look in my house? How would this look and everything? And what's lovely about it is, A, number one, the, the product uh, products that we have are some of the most unique in the world. I mean, there's some really stunning and exquisite pieces that we have. But we also do a lot of really 
good, I would say, not every day, but, but really beautiful, really wear, wearable, I'm using the fashion term, yeah. but real sort of wearable kind livable. of livable product. Mm -hmm. And yes, I'm getting loads of ideas. And what's wonderful is when you, just as in fashion, is when you are with people who have an expertise that is so high above your own in a in an area rubs you're, off you, it rubs off you and you learn again it's just the learning learning and listening and everything and just taking that in um so yes there's lots that i would love to do to this house this house is um a giant magnum opus to the magnolia paint company <laughs> uh, it's everything is magnolia so yeah. I know that my girls have now got very clear ideas about what they want to do in their rooms. So I thought I would start there. And then yeah. there are other parts of the house I kind of, I think it need to, I think what's really interesting is listening to, for me then and Kiara in the, in the office about functionality and what do you want the end use of that room to be yeah. so that you really take that into account. And I think that is why interior designers are really, really important because they have a way of developing space and allocating space to make your life and the way that you live better. Mm. It's, it's not just aesthetics. Mm -mm. It's also the functions that you want to perform, but also the feelings. When we talked about the... Uh, um, um, that that's therapeutical, exactly. Um, you know the therapy that you have to be able to do as a as interior designer to understand what yeah. your client wants to do or how he wants to feel he or she in the, in a particular space, and to be able to awaken those feelings depending on what is required by the exterior by yeah. the um, by the interiors. It's a, it's a very powerful, and I feel like slightly perhaps understated sometimes because. Um, and, and the pandemic, weirdly enough, brought a lot of focus on our homes, of on course. things that we do at home. And um, this is something you probably felt coming from Russia. I don't know if you've noticed that, that when I moved here in Russia, everyone, everyone is about decorating their house, whichever mm. way they possibly can. And there's a lot of exaggerations, of course. There's, there's beautiful, wealthy houses, but every corner would be something over huge value, or it, it's saturated um, opulence. Yes. Uh, to the point, sometimes, unfortunately, that it becomes tasteless. Yes, it becomes a caricature of what you were trying to achieve. Exactly, exactly. And that element of the balancing act of the focal point and how you get everything else to speak to the focal yeah. point rather than everything being that focal point. And you just go, oh my gosh, what happened here? Explosion of beauty, but it just Exactly. But also I th I've understood now is that when, you, when you're doing my, my old house, I had done every room and chosen pieces to fit the room and all the things to go together harmoniously. And then when you displace those items and then try and recreate them in another house, it's actually, it doesn't work. And I do think that when you, I have a, a friend and every house he's bought, he's bought the show home because in his sort of male bachelor kind of mental thing, he's like, I just, I want it to look the best it can look because I'm not gonna be able to do anything better than this. And then he doesn't bother to move the furniture. So when he sells it, he sells it exactly like that with all the stuff in it. Yeah. And 
the person next person who walks in at least knows that even if they're not doing they're not going to do they will do work later that what they're moving into functions properly together yeah. and actually when we were unpacking i just went you know what the what i think of as my good china mm-hmm. i just went put it in the kitchen it's time we might as well eat off it every mm-hmm. single day and so for the last three years i've eaten off my best plates drunk out of my best glasses every day life is too short life is too short and yeah. as you know someone put put it to me the queen is not coming for dinner <laughs> she's too old <laughs> now scare, she's not going to come you know although if she does come i'm going to have to like go to my mother's house <laughs> and borrow plates and and things that i haven't used up till now but yes yeah. it's sort of like you should be the queen in your own house so eat yeah. off your royal dalton and drink from your bakara crystal yeah same same with outfits yes isn't it Same, same with dresses, same everything. With, uh, with everything. Just enjoy it. If you have it, enjoy it. Because at some point, the dress would be too small. The china would not be in fashion. You you may not have an occasion to yeah, actually put exactly. it out. You wouldn't feel like it. So enjoy it. And when the cooling is there, definitely live your life now. Yeah. Isn't it? And just to um, round up our interview, I've got a couple of blitz questions Go for on you. then. Oh, my Lord. So okay. your top book recommendation that changed your mindset? Uh, the Universe Has Your Back. Gabrielle Bernstein. Tell me why. I've not read that. Oh my gosh. It, it it was at a time when I was feeling profoundly disconnected from things. And actually I a girlfriend to, I put it out on we have a WhatsApp lean in girls and it's all these amazing women that I know and from work and whatever, but we've got a great friendship going. And I said, guys, I know we do, we tell each other all the time when we're feeling, when we've done something amazing, we use this as a thing to share our achievements, etc. But I'm going to put out something that may scare everyone and I may find myself that I'm the only person left on the WhatsApp. But I feel <laughs> profoundly disconnected at the moment. I don't know why. I'm not like I'm unhappy or I'm just, I just don't feel aligned. I don't feel the hum. I don't feel that that thing where everything is aligned from your head to your heart to your gut and I'm out of alignment and I don't know what to do to bring it back and one of them then did a sort of separate one-to-one whatsapp and said you need to you need to meditate you need to bring in a spiritual practice that happens every single day so I started to um I did downloaded the it was the Deepak Chopra and the Oprah Winfrey 21 days to gratitude or abundance yeah. or whichever one there's different ones and she said I'll do it with you and I used to do it on the tube from Wimbledon to Earl's Court headphones on and I would just do that and because you always got a seat at Wimbledon so I knew because yeah. it's at the beginning of the line and I did that every single day and while I was doing that I went back to listening to uh, you know Oprah Winfrey podcasts on Super Soul Sunday and then there was a podcast by this woman Gabriel Bernstein and uh, I then went online downloaded her book and I did it as an audible book because I was at the time you know on the trains and tubes it was easier to listen to it yeah and profoundly just shifted the way that I saw everything from being 
So if you any problem that you have, as long as there's no point in saying that you believe, like we all have, everybody's making vision boards, we're all talking about manifesting, all of these things. But you must have faith. And a lot of the times it feels like you're crazy manifesting. Oh, I'm manifesting this because I made a vision board of this and I put this and I've burnt this candle and I've done, and it seems like this is now starting to become a full-time crazy job for you. All the rituals, All yeah. the rituals. Where you've got to get back to is to really have faith, profound faith. You don't have to have tools around. Exactly, that if you believe and you can say God, you can say the universe, you can say a higher power, whatever you believe in. But if you believe that that thing that you ask for will be yours and will be taken care of, then you can take it off your plate because you are going to get it. Does that make sense? Powerful, yeah. And I think what happens is we ask for the thing. So say you're saying, you know, God, I would love a new job. I would love a, a better job or a better paid job or a better better industry job, whatever, whatever. I want a new job. Mm-hmm. And then take that intention inside yourself and then let it go. You have to let it go. It has to pass out of you because it's not going to do anything if it's stuck inside mm-hmm. you. So when you've let it go, you then have to have faith that, that the coming. universe is going to give it to you. Now, it is not then up to you to go, I'd like it in six months' time, and I'd like it to be this, but and I'd like it to be working from home. And yeah. No, you asked for a new job. You want to have a different job. You have to have faith that that is going to be given to you, and the route that you will be taken to get it is the path that you are meant to be on. So it may be that you find yourself in a global pandemic, running a retail business with all your stores closed and, you know, and 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 freaking nightmare going on on a daily it's basis. A it's still a path towards... You are being taken through that path to get to the new job. And that was my sister's thing was like, so you got your new job. Did you have to give everybody else a global pandemic just to get there? <laughs> you know, it's like, come on. Thank you, Alia. <laughs> but, but yes, sorry, it's all my fault. Um, but I think that for me was a big, like an aha moment. Yeah. What was that one thing that you put out there for yourself? For me is to ask for always the highest good for all because you do not know the plan that God has for you. That's what I actually understood. And if you always pray for the highest good for all, you will find yourself in that space because what we think is this, if I'm 10 pounds lighter, I'll be happy. Mm-hmm. If I have a uh, If I have a boyfriend, I'll be happy. If I get divorced, I'll be happy. If, you know, if I have a baby, I'll be happy. If, 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 no. If you are happy, then all things that are good for you will happen for you. It's, that's what it is. It's no different from your normal, how you think, but it's just a different perspective gives you peace, isn't it? And it's, it's almost 
once you have that security it's mm. almost a security giving yourself that it's it's all coming don't stress about it live now yes. enjoy the path enjoy the journey and actually be happy about it be yes. present you know and and it it will all happen and it does happen and just be gentler on yourself i think i i am very hard on myself i figured that yeah and i think that's become a thing for me to really actively try and not be so hard on myself yeah give yourself some love yeah totally it's, it's the uh, the nurture to yourself i think mm. it's because also um the way you are so driven and again empathetic you think about everyone else before you think about yourself mm. and before you know at some point you just wouldn't have anything to give unless you refill your yourself with yeah life. your and batteries you, your exactly bat- yeah. and often when we are like this we we'll look for fulfillment from outside for someone to come and love us no, but actually what is needed you have to do it from inside yeah yeah to love yourself yeah beautiful household tasks you'd like to outsource all of them <laughs> except cooking except i love cooking. to cook do you? i love to cook i like to explore new recipes i like to try new things out etc and i'm um, recently very sad my mum broke her arm and so i've been doing like it's actually been an excuse to go into cookery books because you have teenage children their tastes are not really very wide um and they tend to want to eat the same thing all the time so it's not really very inspiring but my parents get really excited about the i've made you something from the otto lengi cookbook i'm kind of very otto lengi simple at the moment i'm kind of working my way through that and right. using cookbooks whereas before i used to use cookbooks as escape to read where you you know if you were reading a cookbook about italian food that you in your head you're in italy learning yeah. and then you're waiting to go to an italian restaurant because restaurants aren't open so it's kind of like really getting into that yeah, yeah so yeah. it's been fun yeah so cooking is the only thing to keep yeah yeah i i don't get i don't get excited about household tasks but i mean i do well, i was raised by my mother so you know i like things clean yeah i think that i like the you know i like things to be clean i like them to be ordered and all the rest of it but a lot of the time things get very untidy very fast and then <laughs> you know like you have to then go and blitz So yes, outsourcing all those type of things so that they have more time. I'm getting yeah. into gardening slowly. Are you? Yeah. Uh-huh. I I'm basically a lockdown cliche. <laughs> I have made sourdough bread until now my children have said please stop making bread. We can't eat anymore. Um I have grown vegetables in my garden. Um yes, I've done all of those things. Oh, wow. <laughs> And even wow. baked banana bread. <laughs> <laughs> And now you're cooking for literally your now it now it's like do not expect anything out of me for at least a year. I have a new job. But I've been very good actually. One thing I have been good about doing and you have to be because there is no stores open yeah. around you. Um is taking lunch in today every day to work. Yes. Which is quite good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It gets you to eat healthier as well, isn't it? Exactly. Favorite meal of the day and why? Uh I love breakfast actually. I think if I could eat breakfast at all times of the day. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I yeah. like that feeling of the morning and again lockdown to go for a run or a walk every morning, come in and have breakfast. But I also love I mean I love just big dinners. I mean that's what I miss. 
I just cannot wait till I can have 15 people in my house and teenage children falling over different sofas and, you know, PlayStation yeah. being in one room and <laughs> Nintendo and my, you know, people trying to have a conversation in another room. And this is why I love this house because I thought there were all these different floors so people can go and be and loud and whatever on their own. And I can find a little corner and and, and hang out. Yes. The energies. The, yeah. The, and, and I miss entertaining. I miss having yeah, yeah, yeah. everyone over. You are a hostess with it, and this is your Pakistani roots yes, coming to play, and the, I think. the big gatherings, definitely. So, top choice for a famous house guest, and it can be a current or historic figure. This is really weird because I've always said this: Empress Theodora. Really? Why? I just I want to talk to her. I have so many questions because she was just this this woman who came from nothing and ended up empress of an entire empire. And I'm just like, I need to know how you did it. I really do. I, I wanna know about her. I want, and, and there's just, I always think of that mosaic of her and Justinian, you know, that is really famous. Mm. And I don't know why, but I'm kind of obsessed with her. I think because you would find a lot of similarities. <laughs> <laughs> you're not coming there from a you know learning perspective it's actually to compare the stories because you are building your empire you've, you've built it. your footprints and this is probably why because you have a lot in common i'll tell you this is why beautiful and your dream house and location south of france south of france right. yeah it's one of my happy places interesting one day one day hopefully yes south of france as a permanent base or? Oh, gosh. Yeah, when I've won the Euro Millions, the <laughs> permanent base. <laughs> no, no, Do no, I no. To... When you put it out there. When I put it out there, that's what I would like. I would like a pink house in the south house. of France. Yes, with green shutters. That's it, you put it out there. Yeah, with a terrace that looks over the sea. Let's do this interview in that pink house yes, with the green okay. shutters. Can you imagine how powerful that would be? Yeah, and do you know, I even have dreams where I'm walking on that terrace and I've seen that view in my head. So it it will happen. I mean, I didn't look down to see how old my feet are. <laughs> they may be like really like old and gnarly. And see that there's like, at least there was no like crazy, like a walker in front of me or anything like that. So I think I'll still be like upright. Hopefully it won't be, it won't be too long in the future. Yes. Yeah. Pink house, green shutters. We, we, we'll view. have to do this interview. We'll do it's this. A, it's a bet now. It's, it's a bet. It's this, done. This would be the, the, the prime, the powerful message. The whole, everything that this podcast is about is, is just to crack that mindset of successful people, the people that are builders you know, of their own well, there success you go. and what's in there. And this will be the most like powerful my Jewish friends say, it's Bishert. Now we've said it. We've it's said done. It. It's done. Good. It's written. We're letting it go. Yes? We're letting it go. Beautiful. Alia, thank you so much for coming to my podcast. Thank I've you. enjoyed this tremendously. Me and too. I could, we, we are <laughs> way over all the time scales, but I could, could have carried on for ages. Well, you have to come thank back you. properly. 
properly properly without with we can bring the ring with light. A beautiful ring light. I'm completely obsessed with this ring light. I may just have it installed. Even, even without the camera even running. Without the camera running, I think everyone needs a big ring light in their life. I think the sun is probably doing sun, it. The but sun it's is still there. It, but it's still there. It's like it may not even, even and it's rose out. gold, Natalia. I mean, it's beyond chic. Just to give us a little bit of tan that we're not like getting it. these yes. days. You know, the, uh, we, we need a bit of tan. I did lacquer myself quite heavily this morning, so I wouldn't look too hideous. But anyway, yes. Thank you so much. My Thanks pleasure. For being Thank you. you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beehive Household Podcast. Please don't forget to like, leave your review and share with your friends and family. For more information on the design services we offer, visit our website www.natalialloydinteriors.com. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook under Natalia Lloyd Interiors as well as LinkedIn. Bye now till the next episode. Look after yourselves and your loved ones.